So we're going through the Bible um, and finding Jesus in every book of the Bible. And we went from Genesis, and then we skipped to um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts, and then we came back. And then we went from Isaiah uh, all the way to today, we're talking about Malachi. And Malachi is a very special book. It is uh, the last book before Jesus came, uh, the last prophet. And so between four to 500 years, um, nobody had a prophetic message. And if it was, um, it kind of didn't match. And if your prophet wasn't 100% right, uh, they had every law and right to go stone him in the street. So uh, from that time, uh, I would not want to be a prophet because God was not talking to prophets. God said, it's going to... You're done. Um, I'm going to bring my son. Oh, that rhymes. You're done. I'm going to bring my son. Oh, I like that. That, that might be my new Old Testament phrase, you know. Um, you're done. I'm going to bring my son. Oh, that's good. Somebody write that down. Copyright it. Quick. Okay. So Malachi, or as I like to call him, the Italian prophet Malachi. Anyway, okay. That was bad. That was bad. All right. Um, <laughs> So Malachi chapter 3. Um, so Malachi is pointing to Jesus, the son of righteousness. He is uh, giving us this uh, picture of um, what our deeds and our actions should match our faith. Israel had tradition and actions, but their heart was not in it. They were sacrificing, yet the sacrifice didn't mean anything. They were giving offering and tithe, and it didn't mean anything. They were giving of themselves to, to the work of God, and it did not mean anything because their meaning was out of it. They just said, oh, this is a tradition. We're just going to do it. There's not really any heart in it. And God called it on it with Malachi. And Malachi um, is pointing out some of the wrongs that they were doing. And every prophet, what is their, their overarching theme? Repent and come back to God. Repent and come back to God. And so... Uh, even in the New Testament, it says, repent and come to Jesus. So repentance is this idea of ripping out everything and being 100% sold out for God, for Jesus, for the Holy Spirit, for his word, for the truth. Like literally thirsting and expressing ourselves in action and in deed and in word and in our mind that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. And so repentance is not just some of this fancy word. Um, it was preached all through the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, that we are supposed to be wrenched of our heart, that we're supposed to come back to God, and that he is the way. And so Malachi, this is the last thing that God said to them until Jesus came. And so Malachi is a very important book, I think. And I think you should read it. Um, it definitely has uh, overarching themes that the church is still struggling today with. And so, Malachi chapter 3, 1 through 5, and then 13 through 18. So, there's only one slide today. It's all good. There it is. Yes, I love you. You're awesome. So, um, if you want to look into your Bibles, there's Bibles in front of you, or if you have it on your phone, or you just want to listen, that's totally up to you. But Malachi chapter 3, 1 through 5, and then uh, chapter 3, 13 through 18. We're going to get skip the middle of that chapter because oh, it's overpreached. Okay, I love that scripture; it's great. Um, but many people have abused it to say that we want all your checkbook, and if you don't give it all your checkbook, you're not going to get a blessing from God. <clears throat> okay, don't find that anywhere. Um, but if you want to read that, 
it's been overused, overabused, and it has no meaning to that whatsoever. Um, but uh, so I'm going to skip that. If that's okay, you can go back and read it. I hope you go back and read it because I expect you, as a Christian, to read the Bible. Anyway, here we go. Malachi chapter three, one through five. First, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Now, who was this? You're thinking like, wait a minute, that, that sounds familiar in the New Testament. It was actually John the Baptist. Uh, remember, uh, oh, I forgot his name now. Left my brain. They couldn't have a baby, and God came to them. He, what? Elizabeth. Elizabeth, that's right. Um, and what was the guy's name? John. No. Well, I know John the Baptist, yes. Zechariah? Was it Zechariah? Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay, good. Uh, he went into the temple. He was the high priest. And God came in and said, hey, you're going to have a baby. He's like, what? In my old age? No way. And God said, uh, because you kind of didn't uh, believe that, you're going to be quiet until the baby's born. And the really cool thing is, like, you know, the family always wants to name the child after the father. Okay? It's an honor. And so when he was born, he was he, Zachariah's mouth opened, and he said his name's going to be John. And people were like, what? And uh, that's the way God wanted it. And John the Baptist, even before he was born, was chosen to be the spokesperson or the person who prepared the way for Jesus. And then it says, then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. Where is his temple now? In our hearts, okay? We are the church. He He is the temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. You know how much soap college students go through? Good grief. You know how much we go through? Like $38 to like $45 worth of soap a week? You add that up, and how much is that? I mean, that's a crazy amount. Okay? And, and we're trying to wash our kids' clothes and try to fold them. I love folding. Invite me to your house. I'll forward your clothes. Anyway, um, so launder soap, you know, you, you, it's not one of those days that you have the, uh, what do you call those things? Washboard. Yeah, the washboard, yes. Wow. I love washboards. Those are really cool. Especially you can make music out of them. Wasn't there like a musical instrument on, on, the, on one of those? So launder soap is to clean the clothes, right? And what does a refiner's fire do? It cleans it. It cleans the gold. It cleans the silver. It cleans it. It gets all the gunk out of there. And it becomes wonderful and beautiful. And so Jesus is going to clean us. At one day, now we can come to Jesus. What was that one day that nobody could stand, that nobody could endure that day? It was the day that Jesus died. The earth shook. There was earthquakes. The dead arose. There was darkness over the, the, the earth. The veil was torn. They could not see nor stand in the presence of God. And so here's John the Baptist saying, Jesus is coming. He came. He died. He was on the grave for three days and he resurrected. Who can endure that day? Nobody could. Because none of us are holy without Jesus. And so verse 3, he said, He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites. Why do you think they need to be purified? Because they weren't doing the right thing. It was all about tradition, but not about heart. 
He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in days gone by, as in former years. How can we bring an offering of righteousness when we are not righteous? The only way is that Jesus steps in. Jesus is the offering of righteousness, and he never stops giving. Remember, he presented the blood of himself to God, and it always calls out. That's why we don't need to sacrifice animals anymore. That's why we don't have an altar up here full of blood and sacrifice animals. Because the last sacrifice was the Lamb of God. And he refines us. And he purifies us. And he puts us on the washboard. (laughs) He's a refiner's fire. And he purifies us. Verse 5. So I will come to put you on trial. What? Can you see God in a court case? God sitting here. And you got Jesus over here. And you got the... I always think of the Holy Spirit as a typewriter. I don't know why. Okay, He's like recording everything. And Jesus is standing beside you. And the devil's over here accusing you. Your sin and your guilt and your shame are sitting right there. You're just a little distance away from him. And Jesus says to the judge... He's innocent. I'll take the punishment. Now, if anybody in their right mind would be in a court case and the person that was representing you says, oh, no, 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 I'll go to jail forever. He doesn't have to. Would anybody ever do that in the real world? No. (laughs) He wouldn't have a job after that. Right? He'd be in jail and you wouldn't be. I don't think you're going to take over his position. You're probably like, yeah, I'm running. See ya. But here's Jesus saying, look, I'm going to take the punishment away. Look at this. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. We will be in court. If you're not a Christian, you're still in court. And you're still being proclaimed guilty. Until Jesus says, I'm going to take that. And you accept him as your savior. There's no way we can get out of that court. We're next. There's no excuse on this earth. Well, somebody didn't teach me. Well, somebody you know, went to church and I don't like them anymore, so I'm going to leave God. Well, the, you know, somebody really hurt me and, and, and Jesus let that happen, so I'm not going to. You're going to be between Jesus and you. No one's going to have an excuse. You're not going to say, well, my mom and dad didn't teach me, or uh, Frankie didn't preach right, or, well, you know, just, you're not going to have an excuse. You're not even going to be able to talk in the presence of a holy God. But he'll ask you what you did with Jesus. Did you make him your Savior? Did he justify you in court? Did he bring his Holy Spirit? You can either answer no, and you're going to be punished, or you're going to say yes, and Jesus was already punished for you. His blood is spilled. And so we will be in court, and Jesus gets us off with peace and mercy and grace, and he takes the punishment. And we change. Because we love him, we want to do those things that the Bible teaches. We don't want to just sit 
beside and say, well, you know, I, I did my list. No, because we love him, we're going to do the things that he commands. Unless you're Israel, who said this in verse 13. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord, You yet you ask, what have we said against you? They're thinking like, wow, well, we did all the prayers right. We wrote all this stuff. We did, we did it all right, God, didn't we? He says, yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. Hmm, doesn't that the, what the world says to us? <laughs> you foolish people, what are you doing? Can't even see the guy and you're going to follow him? <laughs> you're fools. You're going to love your enemy? You're going to let him get let you get beat up by your enemy and still pray for him? What is wrong with you idiots? You know what the world's saying to us. There is no God. There is no truth. We just do whatever we want. The Israelites were saying this. It is futile to serve God. And yet they're still doing it in their traditions. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Gee, that doesn't sound like today, is it? Oh, they're doing evil, but oh, no, that's good. Oh, you Christians, you're doing good, but you're evil. What's wrong with you? History repeats itself. Certainly evildoers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. We're thinking like, wait, whoa, God's going back. There's no way they can get away with that. Well, we got away with it a long time ago before we were Christians, right? And he didn't strike us dead the first time. So as he gives us grace, we give grace to our enemies. As he has given us love, we give love to our enemies, even if they call us foolish. And the church is still that way today, a lot of churches. Well, what do we get out of the service? What is the music for us? What is the prayer time for us? What is our blessing? It sounds like a consumer church instead of a service church. What is it good for me? What can God do for me? What's the problem? It's an I issue, isn't it? I, 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 I. Weren't that the Israelites doing too? Wasn't their downfall? It's about me. It's about our blessing. It's about our kingdom. It's about our traditions. It's about our sacrifices. What's the problem with that? It's not about God anymore. We don't come to church to consume. We come to church to serve a risen Savior and serve others. And we put ourselves last. And that's not very popular these days. And so God says, hey, this is, what are you saying? Serving God is futile? No. If our heart is in it, we are serving a risen Savior who has blessed us with the Holy Spirit to bless others, not to just keep it for ourselves. Now, God has no problem with you saying God first, others second, ourselves last. And when we come to service, we get encouraged and equipped to go do it again. (laughs) And then Monday starts all over. And we serve and we help and we love. And then we come back and get encouraged again. Now, do we get a benefit out of it? Yes, but that's not the purpose of service. Ooh, you got to write that one down. Purpose of service. I like that. Okay. Here we go. This, this gets even better. Ready? Verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. Hey, hey, uh, God's very important. And uh, if we don't do what he 
asks us to do. He, he, he might punish us. When I started to be a Christian, I feared hell. That's why I went to Jesus. That's where I started. Fear. Now that fear grew over time to respect. And that respect grew into service. And that service grew into love. And now I don't have the fear that I started but here's Israel going, oh, wait a minute, a few of us, we've got to get back to God. We've got to have revival. Not everybody's going to do this, but let's, let's start doing this. Let's have a revival. Let's have Canaan have a revival so the whole other United States will have it. <laughs> let's start here. And so those who fear talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. Holy moly, you've got to be kidding me. God listened to that? Yeah, because where was their heart? In the right place. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, verse 7, I mean 17, they will be my treasured possession. Doesn't that give you just a tingle? God's church is a We are treasured possession. We have purpose. We are in his hands. We're in his treasure box. We are his jewels. You know when you take a jewel out, like your diamond ring, you're like, ooh, pretty. What's the first thing that somebody says when you get engaged? Ooh, let me see the ring. And so God's going around. Look at the beautiful. Oh, that's good. Why? Because Jesus makes us good. Jesus polishes us up. He refines us. He puts us in the soap. We are his possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between those who serve God and those who do not. Oh. Isn't that going to be an awesome day? These are really the people who are serving Jesus. And we might be surprised. Because who do we look at? We look off the outside. God looks where? Inside. So we might start with fear, but we'll end up loving Jesus. We want to come to be with other Christians. We want long for a relationship with Jesus. We want him to be our speech and our actions and our lips. You know we don't have youth group just to have youth group, right? We don't have junior church just for something for the kids to do so they don't hear a boring preacher. We don't just have the well with performance and good singers that were like, yes, look at us. We don't have church to just have a socialize and hang out and then we're, hey, we're a good club. We don't have small groups just to say, hey, we're cool, we're meeting together with men. <laughs> or women. We don't have other things that we do at the church just because we're doing it. You know why we do those things? You know why we have youth group and junior church and the well and singing and hanging out with other people? To point us to Jesus. I don't mind if we can get rid of all of them. If we're, not, if we're doing it out of tradition, if we're just doing it because, oh, it just feels good, I'm stopping it. <laughs> if there is no purpose, if we take Jesus out of those things, then why are we doing it? I don't want to just babysit. I want kids to turn their hearts to Jesus. 
I don't want to preach if all we're going to do is slam in and, and then Monday we change. Fire me now. Because I want Jesus to change you, not me. Israelites suffered with not putting their heart where their mouth was. Not putting their heart with what they were doing. And how dare the church not put those things together now? Israel did not hear from God for four to five hundred years until Jesus came. Think how many generations were in there that never heard God's word through a prophet. Because their hearts weren't in it. Oh, but they had good traditions. Oh, they had good things. We've got to stop playing the church and be the church. We've got to stop putting Jesus on the back pew and put him in the front. We've got to stop singing Jesus take the wheel and let him take the wheel forever and lead us to, to, to some place holy and righteous and wonderful. Instead of saying, oh, we got the wheel. Oh, oh I'm getting in trouble. Take the wheel, God. We need to have Jesus through the hard times, through the good times, through the pain. Past couple weeks, I've had a lot of pain because Kate and I were sitting in bed and listening. Uh, We were talking to each other. and uh, When I was born, we had 12 people in our family. When I met Katie, we had 10. When our kids came into the world, we had eight on my side of the family. Now we have six. I hate death. I hate it with a passion. That's why I'm so glad that Jesus took that away. Now we'll physically die, but the second death we don't have to worry about. We don't have to worry about hell anymore if we're with Jesus. But our hearts have to be in it. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Yes, I want you to fear hell. Hell is real. Hell is hot. Hell is forever. Hell is real for people who do not follow Jesus. And heaven is wonderful. It's an everlasting life on the new heaven and new earth. And I want you to be there. I want my enemies to be there. I don't want anybody suffering. But they're going to choose it because they don't want to choose Jesus. And if a holy, eternal, wonderful blessing of God is forever, then the punishment has to be forever. Because you're either going to choose Jesus forever or you're going to choose hell forever. 1 John 4.18 And then we cross over with Jesus. And here, this this is awesome. This This is an awesome scripture. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. Yeah, at eight years old, I said, I don't want to go to hell. I'm going with Jesus. But by 24, it's like, man, I love Jesus so much. I'm going to do everything in my power to be with him, to serve others until I die. Until I go, until my watch says, man, you got 120 beats per minute. you got to rest. Nope, not until I get to Jesus. Or wear a shirt where it says, uh, uh, work for God. Your retirement plan is great. 
But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Jesus loves you enough to do everything in his power to bring you back. We just need to choose Jesus. God sent a messenger named John. Here's what Malachi was prophesying. Ready? God sent a messenger named John, and Jesus purifies us with holy fire, not just to play church, but to be the church in a relationship with Almighty God through Jesus Christ and a deposit of the Holy Spirit, so we may do that. Our fears turn to love, and our love moves us to act like Jesus in every part of our life. Malachi prophesied that Jesus the Messiah would change us forever, and change is good. It might hurt for a little bit, but I'd rather have pain on this earth and live for Jesus. Everlasting. Let's pray.